Okay, let's pray, and we're going to get into Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. We're really just going to cover two verses, but we'll, we'll read the whole story and go from there. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you and praise you for the gospel of Mark. We thank you for uh, this, the, the quick clip that Mark uh, shares his gospel, that there's these, there's these very uh, short sort of blips of the story there's so much more there. And so, Father, as we look at the calling of, of Levi or Matthew today, Lord, I ask that you would help us to have a, a deeper understanding of, of who Matthew was and his situation and the magnitude of what Jesus did in, in uh, calling him. Uh, certainly, Jesus, when he chose his disciples, did not select his team as we would select our team. And I think there's a lesson in that for us. And so, Father, I pray uh, that as we work through this passage and we spend some time looking at the background information, I pray that our time doing that would be fruitful in helping us to understand the significance of, of Matthew's call. Uh, we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them. And they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Father, we do thank you. For this story, we thank you for the encouraging word that Jesus shared at the end there, that he didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. And if we humble ourselves before you, we recognize that each of us are, are sinners, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of Jesus' love and compassion for us, and that we would follow him with all that we are, all that we have. Um, and we ask that you would help us to do this. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So I'd initially planned to, to cover this whole section. So I'm going to apologize already for next week's bulletin because Melanie did all the bulletins. And, and I've, I've decided to take this story in, in two parts, his, his calling and then the dinner party afterwards. Um, so verse 13 is this connecting verse between the, remember last week we had the, the paralytic that was lowered through the, uh, through the ceiling. It really ties with the two previous stories. You have the, the leper who came to Jesus and was healed. Uh, then you have the paralytic. And now we have the calling of Matthew. These, these, these are three uh, untouchable people. Uh, and, and so it's showing us that, that Jesus is um, 
He really has come for the least of these. And in verse 13 is this connecting verse. It says, and he went out again by the seashore. So he's at the northern part of the Galilee. And all the people were coming to him and he was teaching them. We see up in verse 2 that Jesus was speaking the word to them, that uh, he, had, he had, was teaching the scriptures to them. He spoke with authority that they'd never experienced before. Uh, time-wise, we, we don't know how much time has elapsed. Uh, this could be days. It could be weeks of, of time has elapsed. We, we don't really know. Um, but it sort of marks his ministry that he's going about, people are coming to him, and he's teaching the word of God to them just in ways that they never experienced. And then we come to verse 14, the verse that we're, we really are going to hover on today. Uh, we read, as he passed by, he saw Levi, that's also Matthew, <clears throat> who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and he followed him. So this is a super familiar story. This um, you can read the calling of the disciples and, and going so quickly over them, you sort of miss the, the magnitude of, of what has happened. And the magnitude here is super significant. Um, we often relate Levi to the tax man. Um, trying to figure out which way I want to do this. Raise your hand if you like the tax man. <laughs> or raise your hand if you don't like the tax man. <laughs> raise your hand if you know the tax man. Has anybody actually met the tax man? Yeah. An IRS agent. So those people really don't like the tax man. <clears throat> Normally, we don't. The IRS is the tax man. Or one of them. There's all kinds, I mean, from, I don't want to get on a tangent right now, but there's a whole, there's a whole lot of different ways that we get taxed. And, and likewise, during their day, they were taxed in a variety of different ways. There were two main taxes. Um, there was the land and pool tax. And uh, these were taxes that the, the Romans controlled. This would be, uh, um, so, so there's some debate. It, you know, what, the word we know is publican. That could have actually been the Roman official that represented um, the, the tax system that was actually Roman, um, not indigenous in the part of the country they were. But, but the Romans handled the collection of the first tax, and that's not the tax that we're talking about here. Um, then there was the transportation goods tax, and this was collected by locals who were contracted out by the publicans or the, the Roman officials. Um, and, and so we really should think more uh, in, in the, online with sort of um, uh, the customs agent. You know, I always think of when I, you fly in, when you make your first stop in the United States from being overseas, you've got to fill out the form. Are you bringing goods of this value? Uh, what did you buy? They're, they're trying to see what you're bringing into the country so that they could uh, tax you on it. <clears throat> but during this day, the, the, the world was so uh, kind of split up by Rome that, uh, that they would contract, they, they would almost call it um, uh, tax farmers. And so they were like, it was a speculative sort of business. They say, oh, this region should produce this much tax. And so then the, the Roman official 
would buy a certain location of land, so he would pay for the taxes up front, and then it was up to him to collect the taxes from the individuals, and then he would hire out tax collectors, and the tax collectors knew what they needed to produce to pay the guy. The, the, the official over it, he really didn't care how much money they got. He just cared about his bottom line. And so anything in addition to the tax guy would keep. And that's how he sort of earned his living. Um, <clears throat> Barclay says this. He says, there was, there was a purchase tax on all that was bought and sold. There was bridge money to be paid when a bridge was crossed, road money to be paid when main roads were used, harbor dues to be paid when harbor was entered, market money to be paid when uh, a market was used, town dues to be paid when the traveler entered a walled town. If a man was traveling on a road, he might have to pay a tax for using the road, a tax on his cart, on its wheels, on its axles, It sounds like Mexico. I mean, it's, uh, and on the beast which he drew the cart. Uh, there was a tax on crossing rivers, on ships, on the use of harbor quays, on dams. There were certain licenses which had to be paid for for engaging in certain trades. And, and so they had a tax on every, like everything. And certain locations were, they produced more. And Capernaum was one of these locations Um, you can kind of see the Jordan that goes up. Uh, so there's Capernaum there, but, but the Jordan River marks a border. So when, um, when, Alex, not Alexander, when Herod the Great died, he sort of uh, separated the land to his, four of his sons. And so at Capernaum, on one side you had Herod Philip, and then you had Herod Antipas that owned the other side. And Capernaum was this location that had a major road through it. So you had all kinds of traffic You, you had fish being exported out of the Sea of Galilee all the way to Rome. So there was all sorts of things that you could, you could really tax people. Um, <clears throat> you know, in our, in our day, you know, you see a law enforcement guy or you see a, a firefighter. Or even if you're weird like me, when I see a TSA agent, I thank them for their service. Like, I appreciate those guys and women and... Say, hey, thank you for your service. <laughs> This was not the case for the taxmen <laughs> of that day. <clears throat> they, they were absolutely hated. They, they were viewed as, as traitors, that they were abandoning their Jewish people and, and now supporting and funding, uh, on funding Rome. And, and so it was a, 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 a terrible situation for these individuals that they really sold their souls Uh, to make a lot of money. And um, so I mentioned the significance of, of Capernaum uh, to remind ourselves, uh, you know, this, we, we don't have a lot of ground to cover today, so, but never, nobody has ever complained about a short message. But, so I don't want to speed along and miss some, miss some thoughts here. Um, they found some inscriptions, and they, they, they can't precisely date the inscriptions, but it's around the, the general era that Jesus was there, it's speculative. We don't, we don't really know, but the inscriptions were basically people complaining uh, about the, 
the taxes that they'd levied on the fish that were going out of Capernaum, which is a huge staple of the economy in that region. And so thinking about this, who are the four that we have, have been called already? So you, you have, I should have memorized it with my dayquil right now. I've, there's Peter and Andrew, and then there's James, James and John. So you have four fishermen. And like thinking about this whole story, it's like they probably, I mean, they certainly knew that there's no question that they knew who Matthew was. Um, I don't think there's much in the New Testament that tells us the sort of uh, what did this do to the team's spirits when Jesus, but in my experience of uh, participating in church, I say this with no offense, you know, but like, like God forces us to become brothers and sisters with people that outside of the gospel we, we would not cooperate with. We're, we're all sinners. We all have our different backgrounds. And, and I look like this whole overarching story is you throw the tax man with these four successful fishermen, which, which the strain there, well, let's, let's, how would the tax man be uh, treated during this era? So according to the Talmud and the Mish- Mishnah, tax collectors were categorized with thieves and murderers. <clears throat> I mean, let that, let that sink in. Like, this isn't like they were just, oh, we didn't really didn't like them. The, the religious law, as they interpreted how to handle different people, when it came to the tax collectors... These guys are murderers. These are people that you're, you're uh, afraid of. Um, these are people that you don't want interacting with your kids. These are people that you don't want to interact with. There's, they're people that you have a deep-seated grudge against because of what they're doing. Um, they would be forbidden to testify in court or to serve on any sort of jury because they were simply untrustworthy. Um, I think of, you know, felons in our day and age that they don't have the right to vote. Uh, and, and so these guys were viewed as, as felons. They would never be called to testify. They would never be called to serve in a jury. They would never be called to ask for their opinion about what they thought, about something that was going on in their community. Uh, furthermore, they would be expelled from the synagogue. So the synagogue is like the hub of the community in the town, Um, not just, I mean, for worship, but for every other aspect of of their life. Their their kids would be raised there to learn. Um, And so they were expelled from the synagogue. Which if you, please turn with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, so the next book over to Luke chapter three, which is an interesting story that I've, from the military side, this, this passage has already stood, always stood out to me for the military side, but never uh, from the tax collector side. And so in Luke chapter 3, what the situation is John the Baptist is on scene. John the Baptist is, is, is confronting people's sins. He's, he's calling them to repentance, to be baptized in the Jordan River. People are responding in the masses. And so in chapter 3, verse 10, we see that the, the crowds, after they were baptized, they had some questions for him. In verse 14, 
some soldiers question him, like, hey, now that we've been baptized, what about us? What shall we do? And so he gave them some tips. But in verse 12, you have tax collectors who were expelled from the synagogue, who are shunned by their society. I quite frankly don't know who was looked down upon more, a, a leper or a tax collector, my speculation is that the tax collector was, was looked on down, they were, they were lower on the spectrum than the leper because the leper is just somebody who got a sickness and they kept him at a distance for self-preservation of the community, whereas a tax collector made a choice and they chose to serve Rome, they, they chose to sort of um, to go against the, their people and, and to really take advantage of them. And so in verse 12, after being baptized, some tax collectors came also to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Small. It doesn't seem that significant here. It seems like, oh, that's that's not that big of a deal. But everything above what they were ordered to do, um, that's... That's where they made their money. That's like really where they made big gains because once they could pay back the guy for having access to the land, they really could excel. And we'll see from the party next week that Matthew was a wealthy, wealthy man. And it came off of extortion from from these people that he's taxing them left and right. Um, And so it it, it seemed that they had two different books, like two different scales. I'll I'll never forget, there was a guy in the Navy that that I met. He was a character but before he was a Navy SEAL, he was a truck driver. <clears throat> and so I was really interested in the truck driving life. I don't know why. Like, I, <clears throat> like, tell me all about truck driving life. He's like, oh, it's a lot of fun, you know. You like, But he's going into details, and I guess most truck drivers have two books. There's the one book that they show to the CHP if they're pulled over, and then there's another book that they, you must have been a truck driver. I can see him laughing, nodding his head. And then there's the book that they send uh, to their boss to get paid to show how much they're actually driving because there's safety parameters. And, and so these taxmen would have the same thing. They'd have the one book that, uh, that they would give to the person that they're contracting with, that they're doing everything with, and then they would have their personal private book of where they made their money. And so John the Baptist says, you can be baptized, you can repent, you can do all this stuff. But what you need to do is you need to have integrity with what you're charging people. Um, <clears throat> going back to how they were treated, uh, to be touched by a leper would render you unclean. To be touched by a tax collector would render you and your whole family unclean as well. <clears throat> you could legally lie to them. There, you, if a tax collector came to you and started asking questions, the law was on your side, and you could lie to them without, without getting in trouble, <clears throat> which seems kind of cool, you know, like, <clears throat> come up and like, hey, how much do you pay for this cart? None of your business. <laughs> like, it was a gift, one cent, I, heard. I paid one cent. It has zero value. And I'm trying to imagine... Like Matthew at the toll booth, um, day after day after day in this town, that when people would pay him, the things they would say to him, to say, here's your money, you're a traitor. 
you're despicable. You're ashamed to your family. That this is not something that a family would be proud of. A family would disown a child if they became a tax collector. Like it's, t- take your money and you can go to with it. The, the hatred for these guys, you, you can't expand too deeply about how much these people were hated by their society and their culture. Um, all day long, Levi would take this abuse. He, he was the son of Alphaeus who owned the land. So, so it's not even just him. It's his whole family name. Everything about him uh, was, was hated. <clears throat> and I don't know that I can imagine what it feels like to be uh, that sort of an outcast. Um, a few years ago, I don't... I forget when it came out, but there was on uh, the, the History Channel a series, the, the Bible series came out. I don't know if you guys watched that, and I'm not, I remember it was like all the rave, people were talking about it, so I started watching it, <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not endorsing it, I don't remember, like, I don't remember all the details or the biblical accuracy of this, of this show, but I'll never forget seeing their rendition of, of, of the calling of Levi. I remember watching it in my house, and I just was broke. I was in tears watching what they'd done. And what, what they did was they, they took the calling of Levi, and they, they merged it with Luke chapter 18, um, verse 11, where Jesus is telling a parable. And so it's taking two stories. Like, so I, I'm, I'm, we're going to watch it. But, but what I'm saying from the get-go is they've taken two stories of the Bible. They've merged them together. Um, because of artistic license, you know, that they're, they're trying to paint the story and give the impact of, of what Levi felt um, to be called by Jesus. And so I'm going to ask Joshua as my light guy today. And so we're going we're gonna to dim this. We're going to take it all the way off. You can turn them all off. <clears throat> and we'll watch the call of Matthew. So I don't normally show movie clips like that during the sermon, but I, I feel like this one really, in two minutes, sh- showed the impact of, of where Levi was and how he was viewed amongst his community. So when we, when we read Mark chapter 2, verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. This is a... This is a man that was despised, was hated. He was a disgrace to his family. To touch him would make you unclean. And Jesus looks at him and he says, follow me. And he got up and he followed Jesus. Um, Mark doesn't say what Luke does say. In, in Luke's account in chapter 5 verses 27 through 28 he adds a phrase um, that I think is pretty significant and over in Luke what Luke says is after that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him follow me and this is the phrase and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. So it wasn't like when, when Levi stood up 
to follow after Jesus. It wasn't like he packed up his cart. Uh, he, he abandoned everything that he had. He recognized that the proposition of Jesus was, <clears throat> was an all or nothing situation. It wasn't like add a little bit of Jesus <clears throat> into your bag of religious options. It was come follow me. And Levi packed everything up. And I do think that the modern church um, <clears throat> has probably done a disservice to the gospel in some ways because of the lack of persecution that, that, that we face in this part of the world, that, um, that when we present Christianity, when we present the gospel, we try to smooth it out as, as much as possible and to make it as palatable um, in order to entice people to, to follow but when I look at the claims of Christ and his invitation, it seems like he's trying to take the great big crowds and move them down, where he's, you know, count the cost. Um, that following after him meant su surrendering everything and giving their all. Um, Matthew was completely unworthy to, to be called by a rabbi. Like, this isn't even in the... The four fishermen, they just kind of flunked out of the system or they didn't have the capacity to go on. Matthew was completely unworthy to step foot into a synagogue. And here a rabbi comes and calls him to follow after him. I don't know how you relate to Matthew, but I totally relate to Matthew in my situation where when, when Christ really got a hold of my life, um, and, and in those early years of, of, of grappling with feeling so unworthy and, and um, feeling like what I had done in my past had disqualified me to, to really be a, uh, you know, like an unbruised Christian or an undamaged fruit. Like I very much um, felt like damaged goods. And I think Satan has a way to use our past against us that we think um, that the things that we've done in the past still make us unclean. And if we lived during this era, you could find no quote-unquote dirtier or unclean person available to you than, than Matthew. And Jesus comes to him and he says, come, follow me. And, and he abandons everything. Um, so I think of his unworthiness and his unpopularity um, this really is each one of us before God um, some of you might have a hard time acknowledging how vile your sin is before God to humble yourself I do think on the other side of the pendulum is you're too good to humble yourself before God. And, and I do, this is something that I fear for, for my children and for the kids and those of you that were raised in the church because it's really easy to compare yourself to the outside world and to think that you don't really have a need for a savior. You can say all the right words. But when we look at Jesus, I, I think on the other side of this pendulum, we see him really go after self-righteousness in a way that is harsh, that there's almost more of a warning 
because it's a difficult thing to convince a person that's uh, convinced themselves that they're, they're, they have their own righteousness, um, that they actually need a, a savior. And so when I look at the story of Matthew, I think f- for us, it would be good for us to identify with him and to recognize how holy God is and how unworthy um, we are. When I look at Matthew, <clears throat> the, the funny thing is, is if you like, take out the Gospels or you look at the, you know, some of the storylines of, of the disciples and, and you think, okay, who is Peter? Okay, Peter was used to reach the Jews. Paul, who is the most educated of them all and had the pedigree of all of them, like the, the Jew of the Jews, God said, okay, that's, that's great. You're going to go to the Gentiles. All that stuff is great, which is genius on God's part because you have the guy that has the most pedigree to say, no, we're all one in Christ now. But what do we have about Matthew? Well, we have the gospel of Matthew. And of all the gospels, it's the Jewish it's like the Jewish one that, that if you have a, a, somebody who's in, thick in Judaism and has Jewish roots, um, the gospel of Matthew is going to reach them in, in, in incredible ways. It's believed that the gospel of Matthew was written in A.D. 50 to 70, somewhere in that 20-year window. So tw- 20 to you know, 40 years after this encounter, Matthew continued to follow after his rabbi. Um, we don't really know how he, di- he died. Um, we, we know that he was martyred. Um, tradition holds that he was likely stabbed to death in Ethiopia, carrying the gospel to Africa. Um, but I love the story of this man who was worth nothing uh, amongst his community, and he responded in faithfulness to Jesus, understanding the magnitude of the offer that Christ gave to him. And the reality is, is that Christ has given us that same offer. Um, None of us deserve it. And there's an invitation to come follow me, uh, to sacrifice all, um, because he's worthy. I also, in the story, which we'll see next week, is is the tension of this selection. This is not the team that, that if I was Jesus, I wouldn't be picking these guys. Like, come on, pick, you know? Like, these are the kids, like when you're a kid and you're picking teams on the playground, these are the guys you pick last, not first. And, and I don't, I don't, I mean, my thoughts haven't really formulated probably because of the day quill this week. Um, but I do think that there's a huge lesson in the, um, the diversity of Jesus' followers, that now you have this tax collector with these fishermen who would have hated each other, now being called to link arms and to give their lives in obedience of serving the king. And as I think about our, our church, we have, we, have, we have personalities. Like any church, I mean, you have two different people, you have two different personalities, and that God has called us all in our differences um, from social economic backgrounds to your history of where you came from, that, that, he's, that he's called us together as one. And in the high priestly prayer, he's, he's prayed for our unity. And he says that in our unity, as, as we live for God, that the world will know that we're of him. 
which is huge, which I, I only think can be the work of the Spirit. Um, with that, we're going to pray, and we'll look at the wedding feast next week. And, uh, but this is just a wonderful story and a wonderful encounter um, in my heart to see this man who is the least of these and to see Jesus reach his hand out in compassion and say, come follow me. You're of use and you're of value to me. And I do believe that Christ is saying the same thing to each one of us here today. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the call of Matthew. We thank you for this story of this man who was so um, ostracized by his community and that his sin was very vile. Um, the things that he did, uh, none of us would appreciate them being done to us. And so, Father, we look to Christ's example of choosing him and to see his humility and following after Christ with everything that he had. Father, I pray that you would help us each to see ourselves as Matthew uh, in great need of a Savior and that we would walk with our Savior all the days of our life. Uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.